Today on the Matt Wall Show, Columbus Day has been increasingly replaced by Indigenous Peoples Day. We're told that we should celebrate Indigenous people rather than Columbus because Columbus was a violent man who conquered lands that didn't belong to him. And that's mostly true, but I still say we should celebrate him, and I'll explain why today. Also, Southwest canceled thousands of flights this weekend right, at, right as its employees went on strike over its vaccine mandates. But the media and Southwest both insist that the two issues are not connected at all. Plus, the family of the Texas school shooter continues to defend him, even though he brought a gun to school and shot people. And in our daily cancellation, we'll talk about one of the most nauseating, one of the most sickening ESPN segments ever aired on the network. And that is really saying something. We'll play that today for you. All of that and much more on The Matt Wall Show. Well, you know, I love all of my sponsors here on The Matt Wall Show. I love them all equally, but some are more equal than others. And that's the case with uh, Moink Meat. Because Moink, that's what that's what they're all about. They're all about delicious meat that they deliver right to your door. And that's why I love Moink. With Moink, you can get the highest quality meat you've ever tasted while supporting real family farms in the process. Moink delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and wild-caught Alaskan salmon direct to your door, helping family farms become financially independent outside of big agriculture. Their animals are raised outdoors, their fish swim wild in the ocean, and Moink meat is free of antibiotics, hormones, sugar, all the other junk that you find prepackaged in the meat aisle. Sign up at moinkbox.com slash Walsh to get a year of bacon for free and then pick what meats you want delivered with your first box. You can change what you get each month and you can cancel anytime. Um, and I can tell you right now, the food is uh, is delicious. And you don't have to be a five-star chef like I am to, to, uh, to still enjoy uh, the meat as well. Join the Moink movement today. Go to moinkbox.com slash Walsh right now. And listeners to this show get free bacon for a year. That's one year of the best bacon you'll ever taste for a limited time. Spelled M-O-I-N-K, box.com slash Walsh. That's moinkbox.com slash Walsh. Please allow me to be the first, and perhaps at this point, the only person to wish you a happy Columbus Day. Well, I'm not the only one. We have some other Columbus fans here at The Daily Wire, and there are more scattered throughout the country. But the number of people who will acknowledge and show proper appreciation for Columbus or any other of the, 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 the heroes of Western civilization is dwindling rapidly. More and more, our country is overrun by historically illiterate halfwits who insists that we cannot celebrate the great men of our history because th those great historical men made the mistake of being historical rather than modern. What's more, they committed the crime of being mere men and not angels. They had flaws. They were not perfect. And if they weren't perfect, then they were scum, and all of their achievements were dirt and ash amounting to nothing. That's the popular modern attitude anyway. And it's an attitude especially prevalent in people who themselves have never achieved a single thing of note at all in their lives. They've never done anything of value in their entire lives. They've contributed absolutely nothing to the world whatsoever, and yet they feel qualified to scoff at the achievements of the people who made their luxurious lives possible. They don't even see the irony in mocking Columbus for his alleged navigational deficiencies, even as these same people can't make it a half a mile to the Walgreens down the street without the assistance of a satellite. I mean, they need a satellite, a phone, a car, just to make it a half mile. All of the, all of the, 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 the technology that the world can offer them, they need just, just for that trip. Christopher Columbus, navigating completely uncharted waters half a millennium ago, did not have those technological advantages. He had to make his way through the mostly unknown sea across thousands of treacherous miles using the stars and a dead reckoning and other techniques that would flummox his modern critics, all, all of whom would be shipwrecked in about 45 minutes if they were in the same situation. But Columbus survived the first voyage and discovered a whole part of the globe that was unknown to his civilization at the time. And this is when the modern losers again chime in with one of the two or three bits of information that they know about this subject, all of which they acquired from Twitter memes. And they announced that Columbus, he didn't even mean to discover the Americas. He was trying to find Asia. Ha! What a dope. Yes, of course Columbus didn't mean to discover the Americas, you idiots. Nobody knew that it existed. How does that undermine the significance of the discovery? If some future team of astronauts accidentally discover a life-bearing moon of Jupiter on their way to, I don't know, explore Pluto, sh should we dismiss their groundbreaking, history-shaping discovery on the basis that they originally intended to make a different groundbreaking history-shaping discovery? 
Would you sit back here on Earth on your couch and say, what a bunch of dorks. They were trying to find Pluto and accidentally discovered extraterrestrial life instead. (laughs) Perhaps you would. But that says more about you than any of the explorers who are out changing the world while you sit on your fat ass injecting cheese whiz straight into your veins. Over the course of Columbus's voyages, he discovered many Caribbean islands and um, explored the coasts of South and Central America. He didn't make it to what is now the continental United States, but he made it possible for future explorers to soon find it. And, and that's quite an achievement, I would say. Or must he be blamed for only discovering half of the Western Hemisphere while neglecting to discover the other half? The point with Columbus is that he was one of the men, one of the primary men, to bring civilization to this side of the globe. He planted the seeds for the society that we all live in today. If Columbus never existed, your life would be very different. In fact, your life, you might not exist at all yourself. And it would be different in a much worse way. He was a great explorer. Uh, He was not a great governor or administrator. Yes, he also took slaves. He executed both Spaniards and Indians under his rule. He uh, took gold. He was not nearly as good at, at as leading men on dry land as he was at leading men while they were on the sea. This was a common flaw of explorers of that era. Many of them were brilliant on their ships, but incompetent to even horrible on solid ground. Magellan made it three quarters of the way around the globe before getting himself killed in a needless conflict with a, with a tribe in the Philippines. See, a certain type of man was needed to navigate a fleet of ships across uncharted waters. A different kind of man was needed to manage settlements. These are different skills. But the thing is, back in those days, if you were a captain of one of these ships, you had to be everything. You had to play all of these roles. You had to be an expert in in every conceivable area. Unfortunately, you know, the latter type, the ones that were actually good at managing settlements, they had no way of getting to the settlement except by hitching a ride with the former type. And the former, they weren't often willing to cede control of the land they had just gone through all the trouble of discovering. That was the issue. Now, we can acknowledge these realities while still honoring the achievements of the people who shape the world we all currently and most of us passively occupy. But here's the problem. If we're saying that the brutality and violence of historical figures entirely negates the good they did and the things they achieved, then we've painted with a brush so broad that it erases everyone. And I mean everyone. That's one of the things that makes the push to replace Columbus Day with Indigenous Peoples Day so incredibly ridiculous. And that's a push that's almost succeeded. In fact, Joe Biden on Friday became the first president in history to issue an Indigenous Peoples Day proclamation, officially acknowledging the holiday that is meant to replace, not only replace, but be an apology for Columbus Day. But the problem should be obvious to anybody with an above-room-temperature IQ, which which means that it's not obvious to very many people these days. If we cannot celebrate Columbus Day because the European explorers and settlers practiced conquest and slavery, how can we celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day seeing how, how Indigenous people practice an even more ruthless form of conquest and slavery? Despite what you may have heard, Europeans did not introduce these forms of brutality to these shores. The Indian tribes had already discovered them for themselves and often took it several steps farther. For example, the most powerful tribes in Mesoamerica would take slaves and then add the extra step of cutting their beating hearts out of their chests and sometimes consuming their carcasses. Not all tribes had human sacrifice, but they all lived by the law of conquest. If you wanted land, you took it. If you wanted to keep it, you had to defend it. If you couldn't defend it, your land would be conquered. And among Indians, it also meant that that part of conquering land, if your land was conquered, it it meant that all of your men would be tortured and killed and uh, your daughters would be taken as sex slaves. That's just the way it worked. That's the way it worked everywhere among nearly all indigenous people. If the Europeans were land thieves, they were stealing from thieves. If they were conquerors, they were conquering conquerors. If they were killers, they were killing killers. Does that make it all okay? Not necessarily, but it does complicate the black and white. It does complicate sort of the black and white victim versus oppressor model that we've come up with in modern times. 
And it does also raise the question as to why we should celebrate one group of oppressive conquerors, the Indians, and not the other. See, once we understand historical context and we see that history was a brutal time filled with violent people and that every inhabited inch of the globe has been settled through war and every line has been drawn in blood, once we see all of that, the only sensible thing is to accept that reality and thank God that our reality is a little bit less bleak than that, a little bit less, and then decide who to honor and celebrate based on their achievements. See, if we focus on sin, if that's the only thing we're thinking about, there are no winners. No one is worthy if that's all we're, we're focusing on. And that's the case even today. But if we focus on achievement, if that's what we're looking at, how does it all shake out? I mean, are we celebrating Indigenous Peoples Day because of their achievements? Is that holiday supplanting Columbus Day because the achievements of Indigenous people were greater than Columbus's achievements? Well, if that's the case, what were their achievements exactly? And that's a sincere question. I'm not asking it rhetorically. What were their achievements? If you're asking me to celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day, what were the achievements of these Indigenous people? What am I celebrating exactly? Am I just celebrating them for existing? Is that the achievement? Now, we know that the native tribes were about three or 4,000 years behind European civilization in terms of technology, art, philosophy, government, and in pretty much every other way. I mean, the, the most advanced civilizations in this part of the world were building pyramids. The most advanced ones. Many other tribes hadn't even discovered agriculture. So, so what are we celebrating on Indigenous Peoples Day? I think the proclamation from Joe Biden clears things up. He writes in, uh, in general terms about the contributions of native tribes, but he doesn't list any specific ones. And then he has this. He says, quote, The federal government has a solemn obligation to lift up and invest in the future of indigenous people and empower tribal nations to govern their own communities and make their own decisions. We must never forget the centuries-long campaign of violence, displacement, assimilation, terror wrought upon native communities and tribal nations throughout our country. Today, we acknowledge the significant sacrifices made by Native people to this country and recognize their many ongoing contributions to our nation. Oh, okay. So it's not really about contributions. It's about victim status. Because we don't honor achievements anymore. If we did, Columbus would still have his holiday all to himself. Instead, we honor victimhood. Even if the victims were victimizers themselves. Even so, all that matters is who can plant their flag the highest up on Victim Mountain. That's what we're supposed to celebrate today. And it's, it's twisted and backwards and perverse. It breeds a society of passive weaklings seeking always to become victims themselves because that's where the power lies. That's where affirmation and celebration lies. That, that's, that's where you gain it. And that's the society that we're building, rather than building a society of bold and courageous people who admire men for their accomplishments and seek to achieve greatness themselves. See, personally, I prefer the latter approach. And that is reason enough, among many other reasons, to say again, happy Columbus Day. Now let's get to our five headlines. Well, you've heard, I'm sure, about hardware and software, but you may not know about bloatware. Bloatware is software that is preloaded on a new device that you never asked for and could be potentially harmful, and it could slow your device down or put your personal information at risk as well. If you find bloatware on your device, be sure to uninstall it. Uh, and it's one of the reasons why it's so important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft are affecting our lives every day. We put our information at risk on the internet. In an instant, a cybercriminal could harm what's yours, your finances, your credit, everything. That's why it's so good that there's LifeLock. LifeLock helps detect a wide range of identity threats, uh, things that you might not be able to discover on your own if you're just checking your credit score or you're checking your bank accounts, uh, like if your social security number is for sale on the dark web, things like that. Uh, you need LifeLock for, and if they detect that your information has potentially been compromised, they'll send you an alert. And they also have their uh, identity restoration specialists on call in case uh, you do suffer 
uh, from identity theft. Nobody can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but you can keep what's yours with LifeLock by Norton. Join now and save up to 25% off your first year by going to LifeLock.com slash Walsh. That's LifeLock.com slash Walsh for 25% off. All right. So Media Matters will have some fun with that opening segment. As we... Um, as we move on to this from the Daily Wire, it says Southwest Airlines canceled nearly 2,000 flights over the weekend, grounding thousands of travelers and would-be passengers over what it referred to as air traffic control and weather problems affecting its service. Um, according to Flight Aware, a flight tracking service, Southwest Airlines canceled just over 800 flights on Saturday and delayed more than one-third of its service. On Sunday, the airliner canceled a thousand, uh, over a thousand flights, a little over a thousand flights, or 28% of the day's Southwest flights. Um, Southwest Airlines said in a statement on Twitter, air traffic control issues and disruptive weather have resulted in a high volume of cancellations throughout the weekend while we work to recover our operation. We appreciate your patience as we accommodate uh, affected customers and customer service. Wait times are longer than usual. But some have speculated that many flights were canceled due to a strike among Southwest pilots. The Southwest Airlines Pilot Association which on Friday asked the courts to temporarily stop a COVID-19 vaccine mandate for members alleging a violation of labor law, has denied the theory is behind the cancellations. Um, and they're saying it's also operational difficulties. And so that's what we're getting for everyone. We know that um, there was this, uh, this strike among Southwest employees, especially Southwest pilots, because, you know, for some reason, to be a to be a pilot of a commercial aircraft, you need to have a vaccine. Not exactly sure why that's the case. So, see me when when I'm on a, a plane, especially as a as a highly anxious flyer myself, and I'm sitting there in, in the you know in the in the um, in the cabin. The only thing I'm worried about is whether that the pilot is really good at flying planes. That's the only thing I care about. I don't care about any other qualification. I just want I just want to know that you have the best of the best. The person flying the plane, he's doing it because he's the best one for the job. That's the only thing. Whether he's vaxxed, I don't care what he's vaccinated or not vaccinated. It doesn't, doesn't make any difference to me. I think probably most customers feel the same. But um, they have this strike and then they, they're, they're still canceling flights. All these flights grounded, and you, see, you can see some of the uh, some of the videos if you go online of just turmoil in these uh, in these airport terminals all across the country because all these flights are being canceled. The strange thing is that yeah, they're saying it's uh, well, it's operational difficulties, it's weather. Well, the weather has been last few days pretty nice in in most places around the country, and if that was the case, then you would think you would see. Um, all of the other air, usually when there's cancellations and they're grounding flights because of weather, if you've ever, if you've been in an airport when there's a bad storm coming through and they're grounding flights, uh, you, you know how it works. You can't just go over to another airline. They're, they're grounding all the flights because this is coming from air traffic control. So air traffic control is grounding only Southwest flights because of weather. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, the Daily Wire continues here with more information about this. It says, none of the three other major airlines in the U.S. came close to the number of Southwest canceled flights, um, although American Airlines also canceled a sizable number, 149 or the equivalent of 5% of Sunday service as of Sunday evening. Uh, that's still like a tenth of what, of what uh, Southwest canceled. United Airlines canceled nine flights on Sunday, and Delta Airlines canceled three flights. So you've got over 1,000 versus three. And this is supposed to be weather-related. Now, it seems, seems pretty clear to anyone who's thinking rationally about this what's going on. There was a strike. They, can't, they don't have the pilots. They don't have the personnel to fly the planes. And that's why they're all being grounded. And yet there is this, once again, this full-on Soviet-style propaganda campaign happening from Southwest and the media where they're just lying to our face. There's a, there's, a, there's a strike announced among pilots because of the vaccine mandate. Next thing you know, flights are grounded, thousands, only among Southwest flights. And they tell us, oh, that's got nothing to do with it. It's a totally separate issue. 
Well, they're lying about it. And why would they lie about this? That's kind of an interesting question. Because you, I mean, usually the media, especially, they're they're eager to tell us about people, you know, protesting or upset about vaccine mandates. If there's a protest or a rally somewhere, the media is is you know, has no problem giving showing us the images of that and telling us about it. But why would they be especially reluctant to acknowledge uh, airline pilots who are protesting over the mandate? Well, I think it's because it's it's harder to caricature. See, the caricature they have of people who are against vaccine mandates, and of course they equate that with being anti-vax, even though the two things are not the same necessarily at all. I mean, I, I would I would venture to say the vast majority of people who are anti-vaccine mandate are not necessarily anti-vax. Um, but usually the caricature is that these are all a bunch of dumb, you know, uh, like high school dropouts and that's a bunch of, we're all a bunch of dumb rednecks and, and, and that's, that's all. Those are the only people that care about the mandates. Anti-science, don't understand. Well, it's hard to do that with airline pilots. These are obviously highly intelligent, highly skilled, highly educated people, and they have to have a pretty good grasp of, uh, of science. Maybe not medical science, but you know, it's, it, it's hard to be an anti-science airline pilot. You're not going to be in that job for very long, and you're going to take down a lot of people with you, probably, literally speaking, if you're anti-science as an airline pilot. So it's, it's, that's a harder thing to caricature, so they'd rather just ignore they know They don't want you to know that, that airline pilots are against the vaccine mandate, too. They don't want you to know that. And yet this is exactly what needs to happen. People saying we will not comply, saying we're just not going to do it, we're not going to go along with it. And um, and refusing, and that refusal causes real consequences. I mean, Southwest is hurting right now. And there's consequences for, for lots of people who are not. I mean, they're, they're passengers who need to get on a plane and go somewhere. And it's causing inconvenience for them, but it's a necessary inconvenience. This is a good. Uh, this is a good model for everyone, and that's another reason why they don't want us to know about it, because it shows us the kind of po- even if we're not airline pilots, it shows us the power that we have if we simply say no. Here's the line. I've drawn it. I'm not going to let you cross it. I'm not going to comply with it. When you do that, here's what can happen. It is a good model, and they don't want us to see that model. All right, let's. Uh, on the issue of mandates, if you guys are ready to maybe have your cold, callous hearts warmed a little bit, I don't play a lot of heartwarming stuff on this show. It's not really, it's not really my brand. But here's a video of a mom telling her son as he uh, arrives home from school, holding his mask in his hand, uh, telling her that she took the, his school to court over the mask mandates and, and won. And uh, it's just pretty powerful to see the, the little kid's reaction. Watch this. Can I tell you something? So, there were some parents of Bentonville School, some of my friends, who took the school to court. Okay? They took them to court saying they can't mandate masks. And we won. Starting tomorrow, baby. You don't have to wear... Oh, it's going to be so weird. <laughs> so here he says, that he, he says it's going to be so, and he says it in a positive way, of course. The, the kid's overcome with emotion. He doesn't have to wear the mask to school anymore. Um, and you, you could see why he would feel that way. I mean, I, I would feel the same way if I was forced to wear a mask for seven hours a day, five days a week. Uh, and I finally was told that I could take it off. I, I think I'd have the same amount of relief. But you hear him say there, it's going to, oh, it's going to be so weird not wearing the mask, even though he's happy he doesn't have to wear it. Uh, and, and, and this is with a kid who still has his head on straight, fortunately. Enough that he, that, he, that he doesn't want to wear it. And even for him, it's like the idea of not wearing the mask is kind of weird because this has been, this, this has been imposed on him so much. And, you th- and, then, and then you think about the kids who... And there are some kids who 
will, will be upset to, to if, if they're told that they could wear it. And it, getting rid of the, ma- the mask mandate doesn't mean that you can't wear it. But there are some kids, if they were told that they can't wear the mask anymore, they'd be upset and afraid. Not because they need it, but because they have become so psychologically dependent on it. And they've been convinced by the abuse of adults in their life that the air itself is toxic and if they breathe it, they might die. So you see this kind of conditioning, even with a kid who has resisted it up until now. But more importantly, what you see from there is that this is, you know, th- this is no small thing. Telling kids to wear the mask every day. I guess the, the, the mask cultists, you know, th- those of us who uh, say we don't want to wear the mask, we're accused of being petty and weak. Like somehow we're the cowards. I, I love that, the, the way they flip that one around. Somehow, um, they don't want to leave their house without, without a, a muzzle on their face. And we're the cowards if we're willing to, if, if, if we're willing to walk outside and, and breathe fresh air. We're the cowards for not wearing it. That's how they want to flip it around. Are they going to say that to that child there who doesn't want to wear it anymore? I guess so. All right, next, this is from the New York Post. It says, the uh, Texas teen who injured four people when he allegedly opened fire at his high school school, celebrated his release from jail with a welcome home party, even as one of the victims remains in a coma. Timothy Simpkins, 18, we've told you about this case, attends Timberview High School in Arlington, posted $75,000 bail, then headed uh, to home confinement, and um, one of his victims is still in a coma, there was another teacher that was shot in the back, uh, who's fortunately is, is out of the hospital, was not, was, not, um, was not critically wounded. But then he gets home and they have, uh, and there are, images, there are pictures of this online. They've got balloons and everything. They, they throw him a, a coming home party, welcome home party from jail after bringing a gun to school and shooting someone. And then here they are. They, you, you don't, you like never see this with school shootings. I think this is the, probably the first time. That the me- that the the family has come out and unapologetically, explicitly defended their kid who brought a gun to school and fired it and shot people. So here they are outside their house, locking arms, and once again offering this full-throated defense of their um, school shooter son. Listen, there's a video that's all out on social media, and it shows that he was being attacked. It wasn't just one person that would attack him and bully him, taking his money, harassing him due to the fact because he had more things than maybe others. It takes us all, it takes us all to stand together about this bullying. It could have been a situation where he took the other turn and decided to commit suicide. What the decision that he made taking the gun, we're not justifying that. That was not right, but he was trying to protect himself. Yeah, let's let's stand together. <laughs> let's lock arms and stand with the school shooter who brought a gun to school, showing some uh, some premeditation there. And then, by all reports, by all accounts, fired the gun after the fight had been broken up. That's why he. That's how the teacher got shot in the back. Because he was breaking up the fight, standing in front of the other kid, and then pulls the gun out, I guess, out of his backpack and starts firing it. That's not self-defense. That, again, is revenge on someone who you feel has bullied you. And maybe the other kid was a bully. But you know, th- this should not be a, a shocking or controversial thing to say. Um, it's not okay for a student in high school to shoot someone who bullied them. I, I would hope we could all agree on that, but it seems as though we can't. I know that this, like, if, if there's any larger conversation that we have related to bullying because of this case, and I'm not sure that there needs to be. But if there is, the conversation should not be about bullying. I want to, I want to say this again. This, this is a really important point. Um, as much as we hear about the bullying epidemic in our schools and how bullying is so bad, it's so terrible now. You know, there's a bullying. It, 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 when, our, when, when people in my parents' generation went to school, 
There was no talk of a bullying epidemic. Nobody was talking about that. Does that mean that there was no bullying at all? That nobody got bullied? No, of course they did. In fact, if you listen to stories of people in that generation and older, or if you're in that generation yourself, you could probably attest to this, that oftentimes the bullying was significantly worse than anything these kids have to deal with today. And part of that is that there wasn't this uh, zero tolerance against bullying thing. And uh, in, in some schools, anyway, the teachers were not as, uh, as vigilant as, as, uh, uh, about it. Um, and it was seen as more of a kind of normal part of growing up. For better or worse, that's how it was seen. So there was, there was a lot more leeway given to kids back then. And uh, you just you, you, hear, you hear plenty of stories about the kinds of things that kids did to each other in schools back then. And it's oftentimes much worse. And certainly the, the fights and the violence could be a lot worse. Now, you didn't, have, you didn't hear about the school shootings. And we'll get to that in a second. But fist fights and everything. I mean, I mean, these days, in in in, mo- in most cases, there's a fist fight in school. It's broken up right away, and then a lot of times, both kids are going to be punished for it, which is which is absurd in of itself. Like we're not going to take into account who the aggressor was or who started it. Like that doesn't matter at all. But that's what they've done. They've taken a zero tolerance policy that didn't exist, you know, 30, 40 years ago and uh, previous to that. So bullying is not new. It's, it's, a, it's a part of the human condition where people want to assert their dominance over others. And especially if someone is, is, is insecure about themselves, they want to make themselves feel better. They want to elevate themselves by stepping on someone who they uh, perceive to be weaker than themselves. Okay, so we know that bullying isn't new. I don't think there's any evidence that it's worse than it is now. And yet you have school shootings in response to it. Um, why is that? I think it's because it's not that our, that our kids face worse bullying now than they ever did. It's that our kids are worse at dealing with and coping with the bullying. That's the problem. That's what we should be talking about. Ra- rather than, than constantly having this conversation about how to stop bullying. How do we stop? You're never going to stop it. It's, it's always going to be there. Even if you could put a stop to the physical bullying, you're still going to have the psychological bullying, which, 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 uh, which can be worse, especially among girls, the, ways, the way that they can treat each other. A- absolute cruelty sometimes. Um, just trying to break someone down. It's one thing to get punched in the nose. That's no fun. But to be tormented and broken down psychologically um, over the course of, of months, weeks and months and years as some kids face in school, especially girls, you know, that, that could be a lot worse. But rather than talking about putting a stop to that, which we're never going to be able to completely do, why aren't we talking about um, equipping our kids to better handle the bullying? If this kid, who's not even a kid, he's 18 years old, and the claim is that he was being bullied by a 15-year-old. And also the claim is that he was getting bullied because he drives a nice car and wears nice clothes to school. And if that's the case, then bullying is, that's certainly one change uh, with, with bullying in recent years. I mean, when I went to school, you, you weren't getting bullied for having nice clothes or a nice car. The bullying would go the other way. So maybe things have, have flipped around. I don't know. But if he's bringing a gun and he's shooting someone, then this is a, per- this is a man who is uh, incapable of dealing with these kinds of things. And so what we should be talking about is how do we better equip our kids to deal with it? You know, she mentioned suicide as like that was the only other option. Shoot the kid or shoot himself. Well, you certainly hope that there would be more o- options than that. And it's your job as a parent to make sure your kids know that there are other options. But we also know that, that, that suicide, adolescent suicide is, uh, really is an epidemic and would seem to be much more common now than it was in years past. That's another thing that you, you don't hear about from older generations. You talk to people in older generations, they'll tell you, like, that was, you, you never, going to middle school and high school, you didn't hear about kids killing themselves. Now you do. And a lot of that goes back again to kids not being equipped with the tools to deal with this. And it's, this, is not, this is not me saying, oh, our kid's a bunch of weaklings and wimps. That's not the point. 
I mean, kids are kids. The problem is that these days they're in this, they're, they're totally enveloped in this pure culture that they can't escape from. And that oftentimes at, at home, you know, we're not giving them the, the ability uh, to escape from it. Where they go to school and they're with their peers all day. And then, uh, and then they come home and they're on their phones and they're on their computers. And they're still connected to their peers. So they've got the peer culture online. They've got the peer culture at school. And, it's, and, it, and it completely suffocates them. They can't get away from it. There's no break. At least before the internet, you know, you went to school. Maybe there was bullying. Maybe there was this and that. Uh, maybe you weren't in the, in, the, in, the, like in, the, in the social stratosphere that you wanted to be in. But then you went home and you were home. And you had that break, that respite at least. Now kids don't even have that. So they become, understandably, because they're kids, and there are a lot of adults who are like this too. It's very easy to, to fall into this. They become totally um, dependent on their, their peers' affirmation and desperate for it because they can't escape their peers. And they feel like if I don't have that affirmation, if I don't have that acceptance uh, from my peers, then my life, then, then my whole life is destroyed. Because my peers are my life. That's all I have. Um, I think the, the goal should be to orient our kids away from this seeking of, 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 of peer affirmation all the time. To orient them more back to ourselves, to, to adults. To get them to care about... No, I mean, approval from your peers, especially in high school, middle, that's, that's fleeting... Okay, and they're going to approve of you if you conform with them and if you're, if you're just like them. That's how you get approval. Um, what you should care about is, as our parents, we love you. Um, that's the kind of thing you should care about. How do, how do we get to orient our kids that way? One of the ways, like I'm always preaching, is to get them off, take the phones away. Don't let them come home and sit on the computer. Or on their phones for, for the next seven hours. Give them a break. Give them an, an oasis away from all this stuff. Help them to discover a life outside of it. That's one thing we could be doing. That's a conversation we could be having. But instead, we're just talking about bullying. All right. Um, what else do we got here? So I wanted to mention this as well. This is from the Daily Wire. It says, model Emily Radishkowski said this week that she uh, stayed silent about a groping allegation against musician Robin Thicke for nearly a decade because she feared coming for- forward would derail her dreams of becoming famous. Her new book, My Body, detailed the alleged groping incident on set of the Blurred Lines video in 2013. According to Radishkowski, uh, in her account, an intoxicated Thicke groped the model's bare breasts without consent. She said, um, uh, I was an unknown model, and if I'd spoken out or complained, I would not be where I am today. I would not be famous. She said, quote, I wrote a book about the evolution of my politics, and that includes a lot of different experiences from my career and my life, and the way that I felt and thought about those experiences has evolved. I hope people are able to read the essay and understand the nuance behind these kinds of situations. Okay, so Emily Radishkowski as a model went uh, to perform in this music video, Blurred Lines, which, by the way, that song, if I remember correctly, is basically an ode to date rape. And um, so she went to, you know, in, in, to, to dance nude in this video uh, celebrating date rape. And a uh, big shock, she ended up getting groped by the guy that was singing it. But rather than speak out then and try to protect other future victims, she said nothing because she wanted to be famous and then waited until she had a book to sell to tell everybody about it. But, but, but we're not supposed to put any blame on her whatsoever. No criticism of her. I mean, she, she's admitting that she was willing to endure that simply because she wanted to be famous. And now in order to sell a book, she tells the story. Now, how about a little bit of responsibility? That, that, this is one of the many problems with the Me Too movement, which still sort of, sort of uh, lingers on as this, you know, undead zombie sort of lingering there, wandering across the landscape. One of the many problems is that you had all these stories from women, you know, making claims 10, 20, things that happened 10, 20, 15 years ago uh, that 
they they admitted for, for, for their own professional ambition, they kept themselves letting other people be victimized. And now they come out and say it. Like there's 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 no accountability or responsibility for the women in those cases. And there should be. I mean, how is this story from from Emily Radichkowski that she she comes out and, and tells us proudly? How is this not a story of incredible cowardice and selfishness? And she didn't even try to come up with a with a a better sounding reason. She just said, I want her to be famous. And that's why I didn't say anything. And if he went on to grope uh, two dozen other women, so be it. Uh, I I find that Robin Thicke's behavior is gross. That's also gross. All right, let's move now to reading the YouTube comments. Who's rocking polka dot and flannel shirts without shame? Do you know their name? Okay, this is from Roxanne says, Matt, I would have to disagree with you about men not caring about their future wives' income. Times have changed. Many men want a woman who can earn her own money so she can contribute significantly. Uh, Yeah, I mean, that that might be something that men prefer. Uh, I I never did. I mean, I never cared about that. I never even thought about it. Uh, I never thought about my, my wife's income earning potential. Like it could never crossed my mind and I didn't care at all. But maybe for some men it does cross their mind. It's it's kind of when they're like listing all the things they like about their future wife, maybe that makes it on the list. But I don't believe that any men are actually making decisions based primarily on that. So put another way. Put another way. For for any straight man, a beautiful woman comes along who he connects with and he can trust, he, he's going to choose her, right? No matter her career, career ambitions or lack thereof. That like 100%, he's going to choose her. There's, there's not any man who's going to say, yeah, there's this woman, she's beautiful. I'm attracted to her. Uh, I connect with her. I can trust her. She's into me. Um, but you know, I don't think I'm interested in going forward with this relationship because, uh, because she really doesn't have any career ambitions. No, no man is saying that. Whereas there are plenty of women who, who make those, are, who, who may in fact make a calculation like that. They might say, look, there's this guy. I'm very attracted to him. He's a, he's a nice guy. We seem to connect. I trust him. Um, but he's, you know, he lays around all day. He doesn't have a job. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't seem interested in getting a job. You know, he, does, he doesn't have a lot of ambition. He has no plans for the future. I don't know if he's going to be any kind of provider. I think a woman's going to think about that and balance all of it. And uh, she's very likely to say, well, you know, it's, this, this is not the one. The search continues. No man is making that calculation. I can guarantee you that. Uh, let's see what else we got. April says, let's go, Brandon. Yes. I mean, we're all big fans of Brandon, so I will say as well. Uh, let's go, Brandon. Let's go. Ryan says, Matt, are you planning to watch the new uh, Bond movie? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really not. At at this point, I mean, really, really, I'm all franchise films. I think are are out the window, and I've liked a lot of the Bond, especially the the Daniel Craig Bond movies, but especially the the block, Hollywood blockbuster franchise films, all of them have been hopelessly infiltrated by the woke PC nonsense. And I, I can't stomach it. My tolerance for all that stuff has gone down, not up. You'd, you'd think that your tolerance would increase as you're, usually that's how tolerance works, as you're exposed to things more and more, your tolerance increases. But I, I'm having the, the opposite experience where I can't deal with it at all. The, the moment there's, there is even one single thing that I notice that's been injected into the script for purposes of politically correct box checking, the moment that happens, I hate the movie and I don't want to watch it anymore. That's how sick of it I am. And I, I'm, perhaps unfairly, I'm assuming that there's at least some of that in this Bond movie. There's got to be. And so that's why I just have no interest. Uh, let's see. Numb Skull says, Matt is officially canceled for cruelty to the Bachman's Warbler. 
Well, you know what? The Bachman's warbler can go to hell. And so can you. Well, not really, but you are banned from the show. Um, Let's see. Nick says, I don't mind your lack of interest in non-human animal extinction, Matt, but as a fellow misanthrope, shouldn't you be equally disinterested in the decline of the human species? Uh, No, Nick, because I'm a human chauvinist, and I fully admit that. I actually prefer my own species, believe it or not. I I like my own species. I prefer it. I think that my species is superior to every other species on Earth. I I think that's the most natural way to feel. It's how we should all feel. It is extremely depraved and twisted and perverse. To like prefer other species to your... I'm sure if we could talk to any other species, they would say the same about their own species. But we can't talk to them or have any kind of conversation. And not just because they lack vocal cords, but because they lack any kind of self-awareness or consciousness. And so they they, they can't even have these sorts of thoughts. Just another reason why we're superior, okay? And finally, Patrick says, Matt, can you name just one animal you do like? Um, I can give you more than one. Cows, pigs, chickens. I like them all on my plate. So I'm an animal lover in a certain way, you see. Well, I'm very excited to tell you about our uh, Daily Wire special today because, you know, like we talked about in the opening, it's not often you can say that one man changed the course of history in a positive way. And today we remember... Of course, the one man, one of the men who did, the great navigator and fearless explorer, Christopher Columbus. He was a man whose bravery, persistence, and skill helped create the America that we know and love today. That's why, despite the anti-history peddled by the left to smear the name of the great Italian navigator, we're going to celebrate him today. So Columbus unlocked the greatest continent, and we're letting you unlock the greatest content for 20, 35% off today. Uh, nice. Just head to dailywire.com slash subscribe and enter code Columbus to get 35% off and celebrate a legend who made the greatest continent possible. I mean, you could say that we are in many ways on par with, uh, with Christopher Columbus. He had the continent. We have the content. Tomato, tomato, really. Also, here's another thing that's great. Tomorrow, Tuesday, October 12th, we're taking backstage to an entirely new level. Instead of the usual Daily Wire studio, we'll be live streaming our conversation on stage at the famous Ryman Auditorium right here in Nashville, doing what we do best, making sense. This will be an event and a live stream unlike any other we've done before, and we're thrilled to be able to share it with you all. Plus, we'll be uh, making some extremely exciting announcements, which you will not want to miss, so be sure to tune in. Join myself, Ben Shapiro, Candace Owens, Jeremy Boring, Michael Knowles, Andrew Clavin, and our live audience for a backstage like never before. Tomorrow's live stream will begin at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Central. So head to dailywire.com or Daily Wire YouTube to catch the show. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. So today we're going to cancel Randy Moss. Moss is a former NFL wide receiver, wide receiver and a current ESPN sports analyst. We already know that most ESPN sports analysts are far-left weirdos, but the other thing to understand is that most ESPN sports analysts are embarrassed about being ESPN sports analysts. They seem to think that it's kind of silly and frivolous to simply talk about sports every day, and you could decide whether you agree with their self-assessment or not, but their way of dealing with this insecurity is to pretend that they're part of some kind of greater and more profound cultural conversation. Do both to their political slant and this need to overcompensate, They're always eager to make mountains out of molehills. They're always looking for places where the events on the football field might intersect with larger societal issues. The problem for them is that the two things rarely do intersect, which means that they have to work a lot harder to draw the connection. And speaking of molehills, it was revealed last week in a a stunning and earth-shattering expose in the Wall Street Journal that current Raiders head coach John Gruden sent an email 10 years ago where he made fun of another guy for having big lips and the other guy's black, which of course makes it not only racist, but a hate crime of historic proportions. John Gruden stands alongside history's greatest monsters, Hitler, Pol Pot, Donald Trump, all because he remarked on the size of another guy's lips. Now, for a little background, Gruden was uh, himself a commentator on ESPN at the time that this email was sent in 2011. He was upset about a lockout in the NFL that was poised to short-circuit the upcoming season. And Gruden put much of the blame, for whatever reason, um, on executive director of the NFL Players Association, Demoris Smith. Venting his frustration in a private email, Gruden wrote, quote, Dumb Morris Smith has lips the size of Michelin tires. That was it. That's what he wrote. Ten years later, 
And this one sentence has led to great controversy and backlash and people calling for him to be fired and everything else. Now, Gruden has, of course, apologized publicly and profusely for making the comment about the guy's lips. He says that he didn't mean it in a racist way. In fact, he says that he meant that Smith has rubber lips, hence the uh, Michelin reference, which is an expression that means somebody is lying. So he thought that that Smith was lying about this whole lockout situation. Um, Gruden has issued several statements assuring the public that he's not racist, that he, he doesn't have a, quote, racist bone in his body, that he's deeply, profoundly, profusely sorry for all the you know, for all the uh, millions of people who've been somehow hurt by a mild insult he wrote in a private email 10 years ago. Uh, he's said all of this. Of course, it doesn't matter at all. Nobody cares about the apology. They still want him to be fired. For DeMora Smith's part, he took a bold and heroic stance when reached by the Wall Street Journal. This is what this is the statement that he gave. He said, quote, this is not the first racist comment that I've heard, and it probably will not be the last. This is a thick skin job for someone with dark skin, just like it always has been for many people who look like me and work in corporate America. You know, people are sometimes saying things behind your back that are racist, just like you see people talk and write about you using thinly coded and racist language. Racism like this comes from the fact that I'm at the same table as they are, and they don't think someone like who looks like me belongs. I'm sorry my family has to see something like this, but I would rather they know. I will not let it define me. How inspiring. Now, if that were me, and the Wall Street Journal contacted me about an insult that some guy had said about me to some other guy in an email in the year 2011, my statement would have been something like, uh, what? Why are you asking me about this? He said my lips were big? In the year 2011. Um, okay. And? That would have been my statement, but that's only because I'm an amateur. Demora Smith is a professional. He was ready to milk this particular cow for all it's worth. And that brings us finally to Randy Moss. Moss was part of the uh, Sunday NFL countdown show on Sunday morning, where typically they're supposed to talk about the upcoming games and give their mostly arbitrary predictions for which team is going to win and how many yards various players are going to gain and so on. But this whole matter of the email and the lips, Lipgate, as I've come to, to, to know it, um, provided the assembled cast with an opportunity to have a very important conversation. And they always want to have very important conversations. And Randy Moss, more than any of them, was ready for it. Listen to this. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of emotional responses to this. Teddy, I, I hear you saying, basically, if you were in that locker room today, you kind of just put your head down. And you think of him as the leader in terms of the decision maker, but not necessarily a leader you respect. I'm curious, from your perspective, Randy, if you were in that locker room today, would you be able to play for him? You know, to, to speaking of Teddy, Teddy's point, you know, Basically, you hear us talk about we got a work to do, we got a job to do, and that's to provide for our families. And 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 Teddy hit it right right on the head of of, of just putting your head down and going playing football. You know, I, I speak about the game of football. I fell in love with the game of football. Sam was six years old, and I get emotional talking about it because of situations like this. My civil rights were taken were were were, were kind of messed with in high school over the color of my skin. And now being able to mm. play 14 years in the National Football League, to have something like this of a leader. We talk about leadership. We give guys these big contracts because they want to be able to lead 70 men, coaches, equipment staff, and managers to the number one goal, and that's to win a championship. And for us to be moving back and not forward in 21st century, like I said, man, National Football League, this hurts me. The clock is ticking, man. It's a good thing I wasn't in the room for that panel. Not that they would invite me on a Sunday NFL countdown panel, but how can you even keep a straight face? I would have to interrupt and say, dude, are you, what are, you, are you crying? Are you crying right now? No, I didn't get confused, by the way, and play a clip from another conversation. I know you might be wondering. You're looking at that, and you're listening to that, and you're thinking, well, hold on. This must be a conversation from another time when somebody shot Randy Moss's dog or punched his grandma or caused him offense or harm in some other significant way. That would explain why he was so emotional. But no, they're really just talking about the email from 10 years ago about a guy's lips and not even his own lips. Randy Moss is in tears. He's actually crying because some guy wrote a private email to some other guy making fun of a third guy's lips 10 years ago. And to make this all the more grotesque, but also hilarious, Moss says that he wants to move forward. 
And his way of moving forward is to have a public meltdown over something someone said 10 years ago. That's how we move forward is by is by is 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 by sifting through private emails sent during the Obama administration. That's how we move forward as a society, really? And this is supposed to be a football pregame show. People are tuning in to watch guys pummel each other at full speed and cause traumatic brain injuries. And the lead-in act for that show features a man crying about an insult that wasn't even directed at him. But it's not over. Um, There are other people on this panel, and they all want to show off their dramatic acting chops also. Let's keep listening. I can play for you, but I'd rather not. Okay, I'd rather not do it, but if I have to do it, I will. And it's just because I have other people that I have to provide for. Yeah. Right? But I, I'd rather not do it. Yeah. But it, it, we've done it before in different situations. We are all mentally tough people in that locker room, mm-hmm. but it's something you'd rather not do. Yeah, so this is what I think about. It's like mm-hmm. Randy sitting up here feeling this way from a distance. I can't imagine a guy in that locker room today trying to play a football game feeling that way. With a heavy heart. How? Mm. I don't know. It hurts. I don't know how. What? Max, Matt or Rex, I would love to hear your perspective. What should the NFL do right now? You see this response, and you guarantee there's, there's a version of this response in that locker room. What should they do? How do you make this right? How does John Gruden make this right at this point? Or is it a lost cause? I'm at a loss for solutions, but I think the, the, the answer to that question probably comes from somewhere inside that locker room. See, this is why I said I don't want female football analysts, and I'm referring to all of them at the table there. I have to remind you again, they're still talking about the lips. And, and um, I, I wonder if we were to search through their emails from the last 10 years, well, what would we find? Would we find things at least as offensive and, and insulting as, uh, you know, making fun of a guy's lips? What would we find? Why don't, why don't they give, give us the passwords to all their Gmail? Why don't, why don't they go, come on the show next Sunday? Give us the passwords to their Gmail accounts. Let us, let us go look at, at all of the emails they've sent for the last 10 years. Can, can we find something worse than that? While they're crying about an email a guy sent 10 years ago? Were they sending worse emails? I bet you they were. Randy Moss has been accused of domestic violence in the past and arrested for battery. Has he been a total gentleman in his private communications? I mean, I, I wonder what, what emails and text messages he has sent to and about the women who have made these accusations against him. I wonder. I wonder something else. Earlier this year, NBA star Kevin Durant sent a whole string of expletive-laden messages to the actor Michael Rappaport. Um, and the whole what led to that doesn't even matter. He, but Kevin Durant, NBA, NBA superstar, threatens violence. He uses anti-white slurs. He uses anti-gay slurs. And these were these were messages he sent to someone in reference to them this year, not ten years ago. Were there any tearful segments on ESPN about that? If I were to go back and look, would I find a whole panel of sports analysts reduced to tears, consoling each other over the trauma that Kevin Durant's words inflicted upon them? I don't think so. What about Randy Moss? Did he have anything to say about Kevin Durant? Again, no. And that's because this is all a game. I mean, Randy Moss doesn't play the game of football anymore, but he does play this game. You know, he has gone from the game of football to the victimhood Olympics. And he has, man, and he has gotten so good, and he was a great football player. No, nothing could take that from him. And it turns out he is great at victimhood Olympics too. Randy Moss is the Randy Moss of the victimhood Olympics. When he has managed to make himself the victim of an email that someone sent 10 years ago, making fun of another guy. Incredible. And yet, even so, I must say that today, Randy Moss is canceled. And we'll leave it there. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Happy Columbus Day again. And Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. 
We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Ali Hinkle. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Two Indiana children suffer heart problems after accidentally being injected with a COVID vaccine. Joe Biden issues a first ever Indigenous People's Day proclamation from the White House. And the New York Times says we need a new American flag because they want a new American nation. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.